not echoing my own recording. That's the thing. When I because I paused. I do not and have never heard an echo in your entire life. In my entire <laughs> life, I, I'm deaf to echoes. I'm echo deaf. It's a very rare thing. So going into canyons and stuff must be very boring for I you, Jeff. I am Jackie. not allowed near canyons. All bats have shunned me, and uh, it's a life that I have to deal with. <laughs> Gnoria, this is episode 197 of the Insert Credit Show, a relentlessly on-track smorgasbord of video game topics addressed each week to a panel of experts. Those experts have six minutes to address each topic, with any time overage rebuked by the sound of a horrible buzzer. I'm Alex Jaffe, and the best prize that I've ever redeemed at an arcade was this kind of slippery tube which would fly out of your hands when you tried to squeeze <laughs> This is slippery tube. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can beat a slippery tube for, for a thing that I won at an arcade, but, um, man, where did I ever win? I, you know, I've won like a little. Well, what's your name, buddy? Oh, hey, I'm Brandon Sheffield. How you doing? I forgot about that part. I keep forgetting that these days to say what my name is. But uh, there was one thing I wanted to win. I wanted to win it because it was so ridiculous. It was like a motorcycle helmet that had Sonic airbrushed on it. Oh, that sounds like a big ticket item. Because, yeah, that was that was like that was like fifty thousand tickets or something like that. I didn't win it. Probably the best thing I've ever won was it was like a, a spider ring. But hey, spider rings are pretty cool. Joining us this week from the UK, while Frank is away on assignment once more, is uh, Matthew Kumar. Hello. Yeah, I mean, I'm not on assignment in the UK. I'm just uh, you know here, you know, seeing family and going to weddings and shit like that. The best thing I've ever won, um, obviously I want to say um, flick comb that looks like a flick knife. Um, I've done that Ooh, a couple yeah. of times. That's always a classic, a quality. That's the boss one. Absolutely the best thing has to be that before Redondo Beach Funfair shut down, I made a point to go there on a pilgrimage to uh, win one of the hundreds of talking Dennis Miller action figures they had oh for like 60 tickets. Um, they had hundreds of them. The entire funfair was shutting down, and I just like played like the horse, you know, rolling the ball at the horse thing game, and the one we spray water in a clown's mouth until uh, for like ten minutes to get enough points to just honestly, they should just be giving them away. It really is a terrible object. Um, he says racist things. Dennis Miller sucks, but it's a cool object to own and a lovely memory. You can't win if you don't play Chachi. Is that what Dennis Miller's supposed to sound like? Uh, yeah, that's all right. Okay. That was, well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, his, his talking doll sounds kind of like... <laughs> but it was racist. But it was but racist. It was racist yeah. But you could tell it was racist. Yeah. Also joining us, a uh, new transplant to London, the founder of Idle Thumbs and a uh, video game designer and composer in his own right. He's worked as an editor at Gamasutra, and now he's on this podcast, truly the pinnacle of his career. Uh, Chris Remo is here. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Chris. Uh, you gotta answer the prompt. Do you have an answer to the prompt? I don't know that I've ever had the experience of redeeming any sort of thing at an arcade. Did you go to the Musée Mécanique in San Francisco? Oh, I actually never did. That was one of those things I always... No, you know what? I guess I have been inside it. You should have gotten a flattened penny, is what you should have done, and then you could have said that. Oh, I have done that. You know there what? You I've done that a number of times in my life. So I suppose, by virtue of being possibly the only thing 
I've ever redeemed in an arcade. The best thing I've ever redeemed in an arcade would be a flattened penny. Who started that? Who decided that a thing that people would want was a penny they couldn't use anymore? It's a good question. Even the flattened penny I got from the arcade isn't even the best flattened penny I've had. Because when I was a child, I would make those by putting pennies on railway tracks right. and letting the train flatten them. And that's obviously cooler. My assumption is that that's where it came from. It, you know, in San Francisco cable car stops, you can get a flattened penny. And, yep. and it's because people were putting pennies on the tracks and, and, and someone was like, this is a business opportunity. <laughs> that sounds extremely plausible. And they were right. Yeah, they were right. I've spent quarters on those pennies that you then can't use. It's like spending money to make <laughs> money unusable is the most capitalistic thing that you can possibly do. I mean, it's simultaneously the most and least capitalist thing you can do, which is uh -huh. impressive. Right. You're yeah, destroying currency, but you're paying for the privilege to do it. Yeah. So what I haven't told you about this show, Chris, uh -oh. is that every single episode has a secret rubric that I judge throughout the uh, recording of the episode to determine who's doing the best job. And by the end of the episode, I declare a winner. And the prize for winning is that you have to pick a topic for next week's episode. Nice. When you said the thing you haven't told me, I thought that was going to be the things you had in fact told me. And it was just sort of one of those things where we pretend <laughs> that there was a thing you haven't told me and the audience thinks it's funny, but I, you know, we all know that you've told me, but you didn't in fact tell me that. No, so I, I didn't, didn't tell that. you this. <laughs> We're genuine here on the Insert Credit Show. So this first question comes from our last winner, Jeff Gerstman, who I think accidentally asked one of the first questions I've ever asked on this podcast, nice. uh, which is, what's the coolest vehicle to ever appear in a video game? Well, I immediately thought the Warthog, but it's not the coolest vehicle to ever appear in a video game. But I do love flipping that thing around, bouncing it off of stuff, trying to get it into hallways where it's not supposed to be. It's not cool, but I've interacted with that thing a lot. The Pale Wing, um, Earth Defense Force, Pale Wing has that jetpack. I think that's pretty cool. The jetpack a vehicle? Does it count as a vehicle if it's attached to the protagonist all the time? Hmm. Like, technically, it's not like... She's born with it. A vehicle is a thing used for transporting people or goods. So well, I sure. would say, yes, a jetpack counts as a vehicle. Well, I like that one. Yeah, I don't know why this came came to my mind um, so quickly, but, you know, I've always loved the design of, like, um, you know, shoot -em up shooter ships, you know, like, and the, the, the Vic Viper from Gradius all stands out of mind is a really cool-looking spaceship. The thing that I always think about with the Vic Viper is that, see just the classic side-on pixel art of it? I cannot visually understand that image. You know, I can understand when it moves and it tilts. Yeah. And I'm like, I, that looks like the ship that's on the cover. But when it's just on a side, it looks kind of like a flying goose or something to me. I always think the part of it looks like a head and the, the wing in the air. And no matter how long I stared at it, and I have stared at it, I'm promising you right now, I have stared at that thick viper. I can never make it make visual sense to me. It's a weird thing. Reminds me uh, of, I really like the R-type ships because they're kind of roundy. Mm -hmm. So like the classic R90 Ragnarok or whatever is the default ship. I don't know if that's the right one where it's got this like slanted down cockpit that kind of looks like a hunched over vulture head and it's got that chunky body. I, I, I like that one. What about that Minecraft? Uh, Minecraft. The minecart in uh, in Sonic. That's a dumb vehicle. It's not the coolest. Is Sonic mm -hmm. a vehicle in Sonic R? No, he's not. No. Enemies of Sonic are technically vehicles because they transport little bunnies and squirrels and shit, right? 
That's true. Yeah, I guess they're like kind of mech suits in that way. Are the Wipeout vehicles cool or do they not count as being cool? I, can't, I think they're I, pretty I, cool. Like, I mean, they have all that, you know, Design Republic type design and stuff like the Phasar yeah. and everything else. Like, they're pretty Paint cool. Triangle. I mean, I just don't know whether this question is a problem is that like at this point in my life, like whether something's cool or not just doesn't seem like something I spent a lot of time thinking about. I'm struggling with this as well. Yeah. Coolness isn't why we play video games. I mean, coolness is not necessarily the purview of 40 year olds either. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like, I'm not like being like, this is cool. And this isn't cool. You know, like, I mean, I don't know what cool actually is to someone who would be considered cool now. Right. So like what's cool yeah. is like. Yeah, I honestly couldn't tell you, you know, like there's probably podcasts out there with like 13 year olds on it and they can definitely tell you what's cool and what isn't cool now. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say Honda Prelude every time. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is there a Honda Prelude that you can interact with in a video game? That's the coolest car. I mean, the coolest vehicle. There probably is in a, don't, don't the Gran Turismo games have yeah. some like incredibly mundane cars? I mean, incredibly cool cars. Hey, <laughs> Honda Prelude is not an incredibly mundane car, Chris Romeo. I mean, it's not due to the licensing. I've always been really frustrated with the Forza games because they always have a very low quality selection of Hondas. Like they don't dig into the Preludes and, and other stuff like that. Like they tend to have like so many Fords, which I just, yeah. there's not really a Ford that I like outside of maybe the, the Ford Fiesta from the 70s in the UK. Um, But like, yeah, I, I've never seen it, for example, an, a third generation Prelude in a game, but there's pro they're probably in you know, an early Tokyo Highway battle or something like yeah, that, no, you know? Nobody respects the Hondas. It's very, it's very disconcerting to me. Maybe it'll help us give an idea of what's considered a cool vehicle in a game. If I drop this list here of uh, rideable vehicles in Fortnite right now. <laughs> no, I don't think that'll help. <laughs> the first one is a shopping cart. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. No, uh, wait, how about the, um, the office chair in that, what was it called? Like, Kung Fu Riders or something. The Kung Fu Rider? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's a that's good something. one. something. In the Atomus Wave uh, arcade game, Dolphin Blue, you ride a dolphin. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but if we're counting animals, then it's the boar from near. Come on. I like the boar from near, but is it cooler than a dolphin? Yes. I don't know. You can drift with it. Can you drift with a dolphin? Probably. You could probably drift with a dolphin. I mean, I feel like a dolphin could drift way better than a, than a warthog. Yeah, speaking of which, the coolest vehicle in a video game is the car from OutRun. Yeah. I mean, that's just a Ferrari. I don't like Ferraris more than Hondas. I don't like Ferraris either. Yeah. Yeah. I, right. I think it's closer to being the the, the Hornet. I mean, I, I would say, if anything, like I prefer the Lotus Esprit from Lotus Esprit Turbo Challenge on the Amiga. Uh, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is wild that people, many people in the UK, like that is the super scalar game that they know. They don't know OutRun. They know Lotus. Well, I felt really, really happy recently because when they drive down to Bath for this wedding, I saw an actual Lotus Esprit on the the highway i was like oh, nice. yes that's an amiga <laughs> all right here's our next question are the mist games still good what should people play instead of mist they were never good i almost feel as though the mist games can't be compared to video games they're almost like another category of interactive software that sort of just stopped existing yeah there was a period of time when i don't mean to start any kind of discussion about sort of like what is video game art or any of this stuff it's not my intention whatsoever but there was a period of time when certain kinds of games got reviewed in new york times and other incredibly mainstream publications um, and i don't think it was any kind of sort of statement that those publications were making or anything i think they just sort of reviewed things that felt to them like maybe it was in the i don't know emotional or cultural sphere that perhaps their readers might be interested in and things like mist be the kinds of things that would end up in there 
And I feel as though that's that's a, a sort of category of things that games could be just sort of stopped being explored after roughly the 90s. You're saying they were missed opportunities, Chris. <laughs> That's precisely what I'm saying. Deriving us to... Uh, hey! Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, it's not that I think that they're good or bad or anything. They're just... I feel as though it's almost impossible to compare Myst to other things and other video, other sort of what we would generally consider video games because I feel as though most of the ways in which you would criticize it on, on sort of game design grounds are almost irrelevant to the, the sort of emotional and... and intention of mist if that makes sense yeah um, it's just not in any way trying to compete on the same grounds with with what most video games are trying to do but i i feel like there are probably indies that occupy a similar ish space like i feel like i feel like the walking simulator uh for lack of a better term is something of an extension of that yeah to, to some extent to and some like, extent yeah the witness is a bit of a like john blow aside is a bit of a a missed a missed opportunity <laughs> the witness i think is actually probably closer than walking simulators yeah there's a sort of sort of contemplative intelligentsia thing going on with those that isn't really walking simulators don't really um and i say this as someone who's worked on more than one game that is considered a walking simulator so it's not a negative thing but walking simulators don't really ask anything of you intellectually um i don't mean that pejoratively whatsoever i just mean that they're not um, puzzle games like they don't they don't put walls in front of you and stop you from progressing yeah. mist and the witness absolutely do i mean those are those are games that are sort of require a self-conscious level of sort of intellect in order to proceed and you know that at times that can be very off-putting but it's a it's a type of experience that is that is largely unexplored you know we had an entire realm of puzzle games that are this odd sort of arbitrary throw objects together and then a thing happens yeah. at the other end which doesn't really bear anything in common with what I think most people on the planet outside of the realm of video games would understand a puzzle to be. Isn't a an adventure game essentially, you know, it, it lacks the, the 3D space of Myst, but isn't an adventure game sort of in the same zone? Well, that's what that? I'm saying. Those aren't really puzzles, though. They're typically these sort of odd, it's like odd combinatorial yeah, I guess so. guessing games almost like they're not they're not really puzzles in a logical sense. Um, it's not like solving a Sudoku or something. Which I guess Mist isn't either, but Mist, I think a lot of the things you do in Mist, someone who's not a video game player necessarily, but who's really into puzzles in in a broader sense, their their brain might sort of latch on to Mist or The Witness, I think, in a way that they it wouldn't latch on to Monkey Island. And I say that as someone who loves Monkey Island, it's not none of the things I'm saying are are um, you know evaluative, or, but I do feel that they 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 sort of need your brain to be in a, in a fundamentally different kind of space. Is it Michael Brow Brough Brog? Oh, Michael, Bro. yeah, Michael Bro. You guys know who I'm talking about. Yeah, Michael, Bro. Michael Bro. He he I feel as though some of his some of his work is in this space. And then similarly, um, like Steven's Sausage Roll. That game existed in in sort of a beautiful, beautiful location. That that would sort of be this kind of thing, if you know what I mean. It's almost it's almost a pure puzzle. Uh it's sort of your your brain is is being stacked up against this challenge that is purely of the intellect. I wanted to actually come at this from a slightly different angle. Actually, maybe sort of sort of like Frank esque angle. Um, while he's not here, when when he talks about stuff like um, I think it's a Habitat, Lucas Lucas Arts Habitat. He talks about how you can't really experience that game as it was experienced at the time. So it is playing it really that important. I always think like with Mess, like it sort of represents that era of the beginning of CD ROMs and multimedia, mm. and it's a really different context from where we live now because it was just at the beginning of the internet, but 
you couldn't get 600 megabytes, 650, 700 megabytes quickly, right? So what the internet became, there's this middle ground between like the pre-internet era and the post-internet era, basically, which is like the multimedia era. And the mist slots into that along with all these other, you know, even like a Microsoft and Carta CD. It's like right. the experience of mist really was, good point. was getting a probably your Sound Blaster branded or whatever um, CD drive, putting into your 486 or your 386 and loading up Mist and being like, wow, look at these rendered graphics. Now, it's basically a Macromedia Flash like slideshow, technically, but most of the things you were experiencing at that point were, but they were somehow mind-blowing because you were like, 650 megabytes, baby! I just can't imagine experiencing Mist in this in the correct context yeah, I think, anymore. I think that's, that's a... Oh, sorry. Yeah. That's time is was going to be the rest of my sentence. All right. Your instincts are correct. That was time. Over on the insert credit forums at forums.insertcredit.com, appropriately enough, there's been some discussion about acoustic tracks in video games. But I'd like to ask, what kind of feeling or purpose can an acoustic guitar contribute to a game's soundtrack? Or other instruments, even. God, I hope an effective one, given that I've done <laughs> uh, recorded a, I've recorded a video game soundtrack that was like half I think they're the guitar. worst. You think they're the worst, Brandon? I was just saying that because Chris Remo's here. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought you were being and, and serious. And because he's done so many of them. No, I'm not being serious. But I do think it's an interesting space to think about because it's such an analog thing in a medium that almost requires loops, you know? Yeah, that definitely. I, I'm actually curious how you how you deal with that, Chris Remo. I mean, I've, I've, I've used acoustic guitars on a few soundtracks, but most, most sort of, um, I guess, expansively on the Firewatch soundtrack. And... I absolutely, uh, for me, I mean, I know I'm not the kind of composer who you'd hire if you wanted someone to put together a bunch of really grand, epic sounding orchestral stuff. I just I haven't done much of that sort of thing. Well, part of that is because it's not a skill set I've I've practiced very much. And then part of the reason I haven't practiced it very much is because I, I think I sort of react against that kind of thing. I, I don't really like the uh, maximalist. I mean, I love orchestral music in its own right, but but the context of video game soundtracks, I, I find it sort of overwhelming and slightly over overused. And so... And also underwhelming simultaneously. Yeah, <laughs> it no, blends into the background in such a way. Yeah, and so when I was certainly working on the Firewatch soundtrack and doing a, a lot of acoustic guitar, that game is set in a big open environment. It's actually a one contiguous environment, so it's sort of weirdly an open world game, even though it doesn't really necessarily present like one. I wanted to communicate sensation of solitude and loneliness and being outscaled by your environment. And I felt that one way to do that was with a soundtrack that orally is sort of small and intimate because it sort of reinforces you're an individual person surrounded by the sort of majesty of nature. And you're right that the medium of games does sort of push, push against that kind of instrumentation because it does need to be looped. And, and there is a lot of looping on the Firewatch soundtrack. But Actually, what's funny is that's the most interactive soundtrack I've done. That, that's the soundtrack that's actually the most reactive to player input of, of any soundtrack I've recorded. And that was because I was also the person who implemented it because I worked on that game as a designer as well. I, I get the answer to sort of how we did it isn't very interesting, I suppose. It's just, you know, a bunch of technical stuff about how you, how you make analog stuff loop well in a way that's convincing, but, you know, not really worth explaining. But motivationally, that I really thought it was important to have a soundtrack that sounded like it was made by human hands as opposed to something that that is either synthetic or just so big and overwhelming that it that it sort of drowns itself out almost that's the character that an acoustic guitar adds to a soundtrack that well that's what i was trying to do i want to uh get into that a little bit more handcrafted handcrafted totally i mean i think that's a that's a sound 
I think there's been a lot of, um, th- sorry, I, Brandon, I'll let you talk in a moment. I just wanted to yeah, point something it. out that when, when he said handcrafted, that reminded me, um, I feel as though there have been a lot of games with sort of handcrafted aesthetics and with, with a lot of with sort of painterly visual styles. But what's interesting is that often the soundtrack that goes along with that is very electronic or um, not necessarily chip tunes, but often very sort of synthetic soundtracks that have a sort of cutesy feel and things like that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But um, I do think it's nice when video game soundtracks themselves can sound very human in scale and, um, and, and sort of handcrafted. I have two questions. I don't know if we have time for this, but we got time. The, the, the first one is how, how do you deal with like the, the thing that happens with strings when you move your fingers and it goes and like, yeah, the fret, the fret noise, yeah, the fret noise. I do want to hear that probably once, but I don't want to hear it again <laughs> in the same yeah, spot. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I, there, there is some of that in the Firewatch soundtrack. And at the right. time I had this very intentional attitude of like, I'm not going to just take that all out. And now I feel very mixed about it. Sometimes when I, when I am confronted with that music, sometimes I get really annoyed at myself for leaving some of that stuff in there. So I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. Probably if I were doing it again, I would, I would try to get even more technically in depth and have some sort of you know, multiple variants of the loop and have it randomized or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't, I didn't go that deep at the time. Someday. And the other thing is we're actually working on a semi-analog soundtrack right now. And it's interesting because, you know, we have, we have a multi-instrumentalist who is doing the mm-hmm. soundtrack. He's doing things like recording guitar live, recording fretless bass live, but you know, leaving the, those breathing spaces for where it will loop yep. and and that kind of thing. But we're also trying to work with a 70 year old man who composed music on analog synthesizers in the 70s oh, cool. and uh, how to explain to this man how to loop right. this stuff with like this this analog equipment that I just have no idea. Well, we'll never find out. You'll never know, though, because that's time. No, let's 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 do another minute on this. Okay, another minute it goes. I was just going to say, I don't have a huge amount of experience with analog synth, but I I think a lot of them still have sort of metronome or timekeeping component, right? So yeah, I mean, as long as it's strictly to a beat, should be able to. You know, it's pretty common in music to have sections that repeat. Like that that in itself is not an an alien concept at all. So as long as you have that, as long as you have a start point that basically ends up where the end point is because something's repeated just you know even having play the thing three times and the middle one is your loop you know you, yeah. you can there, you can do clever copying and pasting and editing in audio editing software to make that sound like a good solid loop i mean i, I think that should be totally achievable that's probably what we're gonna wind up doing yeah totally okay right. next question okay uh what's better in video games elevators or stairs oh heck what about ladders and ladders yeah. I'll, I'll throw ladders in there. Ladder, that ladder in Metal Gear Solid 3 that you climb up forever. Oh, yeah. The platonic the music, ideal of ladders. That's the best. That's one of the best things that's ever happened in a video game. The, the, the problem with this whole question is that Elevator Action Returns is a whole video game where elevators totally rule. And they, <laughs> they're integral to the true. entire experience. Here's something about some Elevator act- Action, right? Both the Returns version and the original version. It's not really the elevators that are most enjoyable in that game, right? It's the doors, right? The doors are their most fun. But I like crushing mm. people, crushing people in those elevators. Like, if I you like can... popping into a door and then popping back out. I mean, that's good too. But like, if you can trick the AI into having a, a guy come over there and then, and then get crushed, you're like, yeah, I did it. I returned to the elevator action. It's clearly, it's up for a debate. <laughs> yeah, I think so... my vote's for doors in this question. Doors. 
It's not the slam dunk. I thought Doors is not it. It's got to be something that takes you up or down. I guess the thing is that like game developers, at least for a long time and probably still now, they 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 love elevators compared to stairs and ladders because stairs and ladders require animation and all this other shit. It's yeah. a huge pain in the ass to do either of those things compared to an elevator. So any game developer who has to have program those things or animate those things is probably going to say elevators. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ladders are absolutely the worst one from a game development standpoint. They're yeah. absolutely awful. Yeah. yeah. There's there's that stupid part in um in near that they couldn't even fix for the remaster in the uh, scrap yard, whatever they call it. what do they call that place, Jeffy? The junk heap. The junk heap. In the junk heap, there's this area where you have to jump over these pillars not pillars these obstacles and then there are ladders down on the other side i think it's if you keep hitting forward then it'll you'll actually descend the ladder but it's like you approach this ladder from behind and then you go down it and the instinct is to okay i'm on this ladder now i should hit down but that makes you go back and so you hop back off the ladder and so you have the getting on and the getting off the ladder thing and it was clearly such a problem even for them that they wound up just putting some crates next to the ladder so you could avoid yeah. Interacting with it, so you could just yeah. jump on the crate instead. Like that's how bad ladders. <laughs> As a child, I remember being really frustrated with the ladders in Ocarina of Time because they wouldn't let you grab it if you tried to climb the wrong side of the ladder. So I was just like constantly circling the ladder until I like I was trying to fit a USB yeah, dongle into a port. It's it's weird to many ladders in video games as well because. How often did you climb a ladder? Yeah, in real life, I couldn't climb ladders for years. It was a problem. I got like a child therapist to teach you how to climb ladder. Is that real life? Yeah, that really happened. <laughs> I mean, I think more fundamentally, how often do you jump in, in walking around? I mean, the, the number of Sounds times like I Sounds like you don't jump... have the joie de vivre that uh, the rest of us might. Yeah. I have, I have no joie of any sort of vive. That is true. I don't know. Are you jumping around all the time? Yeah, but I'm not an action dude. I mean, I usually set, set aside a small period of my day, you know, for jumping. Usually maybe in the jack format. You right. know, like, or some other sort of explosive movement based on whether my knees are up to it or not that day. Fair enough. To the extent that most people do jump, they typically jump straight up and down. I mean, most of the times you jump, that'll be the reason. I mean, I suppose occasionally you might jump over something. That's very uncommon. Uh, but in games, if, they, if there's a jump button in the game, there is essentially no period of more than about half a second during which I'm not jumping. That's true. But that's that thing, right? It's like in, in how in Ocarina of Time, which Jaffa just mentioned, you can roll and that's just in there because you, the player, if they're just running around, will be like, I'm kind of bored. I want to do something while we're running around. So they add the roll to give you something to do every, every time you think I'm bored. And so I guess like in no, our normal lives walking around, if we're bored, we're probably like, I'll think about something else or, oh, there's something over there. We don't think, oh, how about we cheeky we jump right now? Just have a wee <laughs> jump. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was going to say stairs are sometimes pretty cool in 2D games, like whatever that Mickey game was that Traveler's Tales did on the Genesis, where they did that amazing, like, run up a tower stairs. And then there's uh, also the East Book, too, when you're going up Darm Tower. And, and just anytime you, you fake a big rotating tower going up stairs in, in 2D, that's, a, that's a, an achievement that is, is worth celebrating. I don't know if it makes stairs the best, and it probably doesn't. But uh, stairs are annoying in, in a lot of um, 2D games, though, because you have that situation where you're like, you walk to the stairs and you're like, am I going to automatically go up them or do I have to push up or do I walk past them? How do, and if you automatically go up them, how do I walk past them? You know, like unless they're just like baked in, like, yeah, yeah. stairs are basically a nightmare. 
That's Castlevania specifically, I think. No, there's a bunch of games with stairs, right? Like, yeah, but they don't all do that. They don't all do, but some do it. Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah. Uh, the weirdest stairs in video games to me are in the Telltale Batman games, where uh, if you ever approach any staircase, even if it's like a tiny drop from one level of elevation to another, it goes into a cutscene where you have to watch Batman walk up or down the stairs before you take control of him. They're hiding, loading, but... Yeah, uh, they could, and they could not solve him climbing stairs naturally from any right. angle. Yeah, but they're probably hiding, loading in a new zone. That's entirely plausible. Heck, new zone. So, speaking of comic books, I've got the Suicide Squad on the brain today. Uh, so I've got to ask you, which six... C-list video game villains would you recruit for a government black ops team? Oh, nice. Okay. C-list, though. So Dr. Eggman's app. No, he's a household name. Yeah, got it. Oh, I get, I'm, I'm getting a phone call from my good friend, Scam Likely. Um, <laughs> probably going to pick that one up. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, Scam Likely's in there, probably. <laughs> okay, see, let, let's start by identifying some C-list video game villains, if we, if we even can. Like, who's the villain in Gex? Somebody, probably. That's a good question. Uh, is Dr. Muto? Who's that? He's in Crash Bandicoot? Yeah, he sucks, though. Like, I don't want him on my on my gang. Yeah, like, is the, is the gag they're all going to die pretty quickly? In which case, we could have Dr. Muto. Oh, you're not going to believe this, but the villain in Gex is named Rez. Oh, I think I kind of knew that. Okay. Isn't the, the villain in um, Vector Man, like, Raster or something like that? It's some sort of other little reference to something. The hardest part of this is who are the villains <laughs> right. that we can even choose from. Yeah, C-list makes it kind of hard because, like, if I'm thinking of, like, villains that I think that are, like, lame, like, I'm, like, you know, Wesker, but then he's not C-list, right? People would consider yeah. him, like, really high tier. So yeah. you might want to think of villains from okay, less wait. popular video games that you yeah, know Yeah, I've got well. one. Well, I mean, that's what I've been trying to do, but it's hard to remember the villains. Um, I've got one, which is my own game, Gunhouse. The uh, the final villain is um, Peter Molyneux. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what can he bring to the table of the Black Ops team? Well, so in this case, Peter Molyneux is in, is he's a huge robot. Still. Yeah. Um, he's got that going for him. He can shoot missiles and he eats he eats children and he's got a turtleneck. So the, that's what he's got. I think. I mean, that'll come in handy. And he's still Peter Molyneux. Also, he could he, he could probably talk his way out of a situation uh, by making you feel sad about your dog. So. Okay, that's one. That's one. Yeah, that's one. We got one on the board. Robot Peter Molyneux. <laughs> and you did it by going to your own game, which is kind of cheating. But mm, Yeah, uh, well, we had to start somewhere. I am such the wrong person to, to be asking this kind of question. I don't even know where to, I don't even know where to begin. We'll, we'll choose something from your game. Fire. Oh, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. I suppose that game does have a villain who's incredibly low tier, I think, on the list of video game villains. Sad man hides in woods and yeah. is sad and makes you sad as well yeah um so that's what he would do on the just kind of present an existential they yeah. sort of just be a little like kind of mad at himself and everyone and kind of make you feel bad too but slowly wear you down yeah all right sad fire watch man we're sad third of the way watch. there matthew you're you're up yeah i don't know i'm kind of struggling on this one too i mean i feel like think of amiga dude, games Oh, Amiga games. I was trying to think of like a game where I was like, who's the villain in... Who's the villain in Zool? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like all these games, like that's nothing you even... Did you even get to the final boss in those games? Like, was not. there a final boss? You know, like, yeah, I cannot. I'm really struggling here, guys. I'm trying to look up who the Zool villain is, and and it's not, it's not that easy because 
Because um, of Ghostbusters. Because nobody cares. Yeah, because of Ghostbusters. And uh, I mean, Jill's coming back, right? You saw that, right? That, like, um, There's like a new updated version coming on Steam. I think I saw a half right about it, that it was like um, maybe like Sumo's like their academy of, you know, people who are just getting into games are making it maybe, which oh, is... It's Sumo that's doing it? Yeah. Right. Maybe our third uh, team member is Chupa Chups then. Yeah, Chupa Chups. Sure. But, I mean, well, are they that evil? I mean... Don't people like those? It'll give you cavities. Cavities are bad. Yeah, for lack of uh, absolutely any other answers. <laughs> All right, we're doing real well on this question. Uh, why don't we uh, call it here and uh, take a yeah, quick break so we can gather our heads? Okay, it's a good idea. I have a crappy villain that I can mention if we want to just tack that on as if I said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. do it. The um, serial killer from Heavy Rain. Oh, um, that's a good one. The problem is, and this is spoiler territory, but you should play this game because it's absolutely garbage. It's hilarious garbage. Is that you play <laughs> that character and you could see his thoughts. So that means that anytime you're holding his thoughts, he's very consciously not thinking about the fact that he's the villain, <laughs> which I find really, really funny. And also that whole game makes no sense anyway. But the villain in that game sucks. Everything about that game sucks, but it's kind of an amazing experience. Welcome back to the Insert Credit Show. It's time for us to go into the dirt bag. Oh, no. <laughs> Every week, I take one question submitted by uh, one of our kind and generous benefactors at patreon.com slash insert credit. You can subscribe at any level to get access to the question submission form. Uh, get access to our regular episodes one day early. Oh, a day early? One nice. day early. And you can also get you mean, like before other people get it before anyone else uh, who is not subscribed to patreon.com slash insert credit. Oh, there's people who aren't subscribed to it and they get it sometime. They typically get well, it on, on Tuesday. I'm trying to figure this out. Okay. So yeah. they get it Tuesdays, but then the people who do subscribe to the website yeah. get it a day before that. Yeah. Monday. Pretty fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I'm not actually not a subscriber. I got to be honest because I'm on this show. So it seems ridiculous to pay to be on it. It's crazy because on that day, you know, when the, one day early people get it, you know, it's like when there's a big sports game you're trying to watch, you have to block all of the trending topics, you have to hide everything on your Twitter, because people are just talking so much detail, and there's so many <laughs> show spoilers. Yeah. A lot of spoilers. If you want to not have to block all those trending topics and everything else that you're just all frustrated by, just become a pay pig, you know, like yeah, all these other people. exactly. You know, just start spent. This is essentially emotional blackmail you've constructed. <laughs> yeah. You're essentially saying... You have to pay us this money, otherwise your experience will be ruined by yeah. people who are paying us. It, it's a very dark path. It gets worse, Chris Remo. I don't really believe that it could be worse. Well, I'm about to blow your mind, because if you subscribe, you also get access to a bonus episode every month that no one else can listen to. In a way, yeah. that's almost better, Yeah, because at least their experience of it won't be ruined by all the people who are paying that's the money. True. That so is that's true. That is true. Yeah. But you get both barrels of it by just sending us like $3 a month. Anyway, this question comes from Gagagin, who asks, what is the best auto-scrolling section of all time? Which is to specifically say an auto-scrolling section in a game which itself is not auto-scrolling. So like rail shooters don't count. Okay, so that that, that takes out my... Uh... My car jokes, uh, yeah. which I was about to make about auto This program requires a sort of encyclopedic knowledge of video games that I do not possess. I feel 
I forgot to uh, well prepared tell you that you needed to bone <laughs> up on your video game encyclopedia before you got in here. Yeah. Okay, so Chris, what's the best auto-scrolling crossword <laughs> you've ever uh, done? Uh, oh God, if only I had experienced such a thing. That actually sounds extremely mild. I mean, that just struck me as a really good like game jam idea, you know, like sort of like crossword does, that sort of yeah. scrolls on screen, and you have oh, to like, type it cool. off screen. You yeah, know, that does sound. That is a great. That is a great game jam concept. Crossword of the dead. Yeah. Oh yeah, I like it. Yeah, like it doesn't give you what you're supposed to type in, right? It gives you the cryptic clue. I mean, I can't do crosswords at all, uh, but or and you have to keep working it out and then typing it in. That'd be amazing. And then we could port it to the Dreamcast. Love oh, the Dreamcast. That's very much, that sounds extremely appropriate. Yep, that's what it should be. Uh, okay, auto scrolling sections. You know, I don't like a lot of those auto scrolling sections because quite often it's like, okay, we're going along, we're having fun, but now the wall is pushing you from behind, and if you and, and this is when you wind up dying clipping into something because like they put a power up right behind this wall where like if you do it fast enough you can get it and otherwise you die. A lot of those suck, but I I think the one in Symphony of the Night is pretty good, or actually, or is it in Rondo of Blood first? Well, either way, the one where you're getting chased by a big half of a wolf, and so like the this the screen starts to auto scroll. The visible danger is behind you, and it's like if if I touch that back half of the screen, I will die. I mean, it's it's been done in other games, but I feel like that one they successfully presented me with something that I want to get away from. It's not like a wall of lava that I have to escape, which is kind of boring. It's it's like a a big beast. So that one's pretty good. Yeah, I find the, the, those type of sections, you know, pretty miserable. Like the ones that stand in my mind for some reason right now are like the ones in like Super Mario Brothers three, which is still my favorite Super Mario Brothers, but like the all scrolling levels are like not the most enjoyable, right? Yeah. Like even yeah, they always the, stress me out. Like the the ones like on the battleships are pretty good just because they're so intense, but like the other ones where you're just like, on a platform and shit, I hate those ones where it's like you're on a platform, don't fall off the platform. Also, stuff's moving. Like, I never enjoy that. Um, but I kind of feel it was like a cheat. Like, something I actually love in games is when you're, like, um, like on a highway jumping across cars while there's scrolling happening, but you're actually not being forced to scroll, right? It's just, like, the background's constantly scrolling because you're, like, yeah. fighting dudes, like, in Strider 2 or some of that. You're, like, fighting dudes on top of cars or, I don't know, Dragon Ninja and stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of games that just do that. I love that type of visual, like, or, like, or being on trains and things like that. Anything with, like, a scrolling background where you're like on a moving vehicle i love that stuff yeah yeah that's good it, it doesn't fit the brief really because it doesn't force you to scroll but those are very good there's some games it, we didn't specifically say side scrolling so like mm -hmm. no just auto scroll yeah so in sonic 2 i actually quite like that tube mini game that they got and that's an auto scroller like you're you're always running forward and you're dodging things and it's a little annoying but compared to many auto scrollers, it's a lot more fun, and you 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 have to follow a path to get all the rings and things. Uh, I kind of like it. So I mean, I suppose on that basis, then like one of the most fun auto scrollers is like Guitar Hero, right? <laughs> like yeah, but that's all the time. That's, but that's an auto scroller. Oh, auto scrolling section. Yeah, I suppose you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it don't have to be part of the game. It has can't be fully fully the game. Yeah, they made this not so easy. This question. They had her number. Yeah, I I'll say this, even though it's not really something I can recommend. Like, uh, the Battletoads I played most was Battletoads on the Game Boy. And um, the Game Boy Battletoads all-scroller section where you're in the little, like, ship, it's it's one of those things where it's like there's, like, a line of spikes going towards you, right? And as it starts, you're, like, going up to the top of the screen to dodge, down to the bottom of the screen, and you've got, like, a, a window of time, right? 
But as it gets faster and faster, you get to the point where you no longer really have any any time to make the decision. You just have to get exactly, you have to hit the top, then get to the bottom, hit the top, then get to the bottom as it goes. And like, although as a child, when I had time to like master something, getting really good at that was like, it became so unbelievably like like not rewarding you know that sort of like frisson you get from doing something like perfectly well yeah almost without thinking that level is in my always in my mind the the little side-scrolling shooter section where you have to dodge the spikes as like one of the ultimate like frisson and that's in a speedy game boy screen yeah i, I buy that battle too okay yeah, sorry guys. Battletoads is a bad shit answer. That's like an terrible. answer. No, no, yeah. I, I, I fully understand the angle from which you took that, though. So I'll also throw in uh, Adventures of Batman and Robin has a has a shooter section, which is the, yes. Yeah. Okay. When and how do video games successfully recontextualize frustrating tropes as interesting? Jesus Christ. Let's uh, let's think about that one for a second. But I guess it's you know it's like an easy example would be Super Crate Box where. Opening crates for weapons is kind of annoying in a lot of games, or it is at least tropey and uh, something to be made fun of. But in Super Crate Box, you're awaiting the new crate because it's like maybe that's got a much better weapon in it, and and the crates are fewer and further between. So I think I think that's an example at the very yeah, least to get us that's, started. That's what I'm going for here. What was that sound? <laughs> uh, that was a cat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was like, Chris Remo, you really don't like this question. <laughs> this cat, that's such, this a, cat really that's such a good like meow. Question. That's such a, like, yeah. a perfect meow. See if I can get the cat closer to the mic. It really doesn't want to become closer to the mic. Cat, come over here. That's 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 how you get cats to come closer, right? You, yeah. just, you just go like, hey, cat. You go, cat, come over here. And then they, and then they just do it. Come on, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> is that uh, a real this question? Uh, is now okay. about Chris's cat. Yeah. It's actually not my cat. I'm cat sitting at the moment. Oh. Well, now she's sitting on my lap, but she's not making any sounds. I guess she's, she got she's what she wanted. She's not going to make any maybe, meows now. So. I can hear the purring. Is she purring? Can you hear that? I can't yeah. because I have headphones covering my ears. Yeah, I had to go. Oh, there oh you I go. hear her. Okay. <laughs> this is amazing. This good you got to post some pictures of the cat in the chat um, when oh, you have yeah. some time. Please, please send us some cat pictures. Yeah, yeah no pictures. problem. Our listeners need to know what you're experiencing. Yeah, I, I, what you were saying there, Brandon, was making me think more of sort of things like, I don't know why it's the first game to my mind, but like, you remember Work Time Fun in the PSP? Like, yeah. games where you do like repetitive boating things, and then it's sort of like, that's kind of the gag. And then that sort of led me into the line of all the clicker games, right? So, you know, Cookie Clicker and Universe Paper Clips or, or whatever, where you're doing like, kind of like, yeah. but then maybe they're not so like based in video game tropes, as they just are like, here's a boating repetitive thing to do, like... That we're subverting somehow, uh, so maybe that doesn't count. I guess Cow Clicker, which we we had Ian Bogost on the other day mm -hmm. or the other week, uh, does count as it is certainly a subversion of what was then a trope. So I, I think that at the very least it counts. Another thing, no, never mind, it's wrong. Uh, <laughs> I was going down a Street Fighter path that I realized I was incorrect about. So the end. Resident Evil Two remake. I forget if I've talked about this before. But uh, they put a literal monster closet in there for the first time. You opened a, a, a locker and a monster flopped out of it. Or it yeah. was, I think it was a dead person. But like Resident Evil has always been accused of having this monster closet idea where you're rounding a corner and suddenly the, the dog jumps out of the window or whatever kind of spooky thing happens. And this time they were just like, all right, fine, you're going to accuse us of it. Here it is. This is a literal monster closet. And I, I lolled at it. Is it subversion if you really just double down on the thing people say you're doing <laughs> i think sure. yes okay. i think it is okay well good we'll count it i don't know if this is a 
a good example or an example I like. But those massacore platformers, like I want to be the guy, etc. Those are their whole thing is subverting tropes and expectations. Like that, if I jump on this platform, it will fall. But then the third of them goes up and smashes me into the the ceiling. That's true, but it's kind of the opposite, where it's making a kind of pleasant thing in a game annoying, as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm impressed by the extent to which you adhere to the parameters that have been outlined in these questions. That's the show. <laughs> that you, I'm impressed that you are not constantly subverting them. You seem to, to really respect the question as posed. I don't know how true that is. I mean, like I like made us talk about ladders in the stairs. No, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about Brandon. True. Right. Okay. Yeah. Brandon is Brandon's pretty <laughs> stick stick to the rules, I suppose. Yeah. Matthew's an agent of chaos. Agent of chaos. I love it. He's gonna tell you how he got those scars. I feel like I I have to be the the representative. We don't have Frank. Tim used to be on this show. We we, we don't have those guys. I feel like I have to be the one who's like, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna we at least a little down. bit res right. respect the. And that's what Jaffe was for. Uh, that's true. I was being serious. I respect. I, I respect it. I, I I meant it genuinely. Still sounds disingenuous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically the same brand is you're a boarding nerd <laughs> i love it all right now i want you to review the concept of crossword puzzles based on their graphics and game mechanics mm. as if you were reviewing a video game i assume this is meant for me it's meant for everybody yeah, this, one's, this one's on you buddy it's all of us uh, i think that graphically it could use a brush up it's a bit dated they have <laughs> there have been many iterations of the crossword across the years and i feel like none has really taken that big leap that uh, we might expect for the next generation Sense of the genre might still find plenty to like <laughs> yeah as an agent of chaos i actually just want to ask you chris like you've been doing these videos about crosswords and you know i'm not really a crossword guy so i'd really really actually like to know from your perspective what it is that's so genuinely interesting about crosswords that you're, you're now doing a video series about them um yeah well i'm going to take that opportunity to explicitly ex call out pitch my own thing which is my youtube channel which is just my name chris remo where i do the new york times crossword every day on a video so go watch that go give that a shot if you think you'd like to watch something extremely low-key and slow and arguably boring but i don't think it's boring because i actually like crosswords and the reason i do to answer your question i suppose that's sort of a a, a midpoint between Trivia and wordplay, I suppose, just sort of general facility with language that I find personally appealing. I mean, I, I sort of I like all those things. And the New York Times style of crossword is, I think, a reasonably good um, compromise of all of them, whereas a cryptic crossword, for instance, um, skews very hard towards extreme, almost yeah, extreme wordplay and sort of arcane uh, rule sets that are that are self-referential then there are other other sort of uh traditional general knowledge style crosswords that are more about arbitrary trivia and less about wordplay and the and the, the sort of new york times style crossword i find to be a really enjoyable midpoint between those things i mean that doesn't explain why someone who doesn't enjoy trivia and and wordplay and vocabulary would find a crossword interesting i guess they wouldn't so the sort of pr the prerequisites i suppose are that you find those things to some extent interesting or enjoyable, but I do. So I've been doing the crossword every day for many years, and now I do it on the internet. Because I know a few people are quite into crosswords. And so you're saying that the 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 New York Times isn't really a traditional cryptic crossword, because by understanding a cryptic crossword no, it's not, is... It's not a cryptic, no, no. Yeah, because a cryptic crossword is like, there's a, a rule set, right? You look at the question, 
And then yeah. from the quest, you understand, oh, this one is like a wordplay. I have to reverse this word and that'll right. teach me what something else is. So how does the New York Times crossword sit in a middle ground between something as, as esoteric as that, which I just can't make heads and tails of, even the most basic ones, and a general knowledge trivia one? It is a general knowledge trivia crossword. So so it is it is that. It is mm. it's it's not like a cryptic crossword. I guess what I mean is is occasional wordplay in it. There will occasionally be times when um a clue uses a sort of counterintuitive meaning of a word that, you know, in, in the context of the clue you would read it one way, but actually in order to understand the meaning of the clue, you have to read it a different way. That's the kind of thing cryptic crosswords do, but as you said, Cryptic crosswords push it to a level of 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 extremity. They they have their own internal rule set that you have to sort of learn before you can really even solve one single cryptic crossword clue. And the the New York Times crossword is not is not like that. It it is essentially a general knowledge trivia crossword, but there's a playfulness to it that I I think a lot of general knowledge crosswords are pretty are, are fairly perfunctory, not necessarily very playful or or uh i don't know joyful in the way that they're clued i find the new york times crossword to, uh, it'll often have clever themes that that tie into some sort of meta wordplay that's threaded throughout the puzzle the i think just the quality of writing of the clues is high in terms of its uh internal consistency and i don't know entertainment value i just think it's a very well constructed crossword with with a sort of high standard of quality that makes it more enjoyable than a strict trivia quiz, but it's much more approachable than an incredibly esoteric cryptic. So the problem I have with the New York Times aspect is, I mean, with this particular crossword, is every time you mention the New York Times and and it being like clever or having a a, a a clever theme to it, I think about being in a in a movie theater in Berkeley, California, surrounded by a bunch <laughs> of rich people from the hills. Yeah, I know when, exactly what you mean. When like a when a twist happens in the movie, they're all like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've it's so funny you say that because I've I've literally said that exact thing and used Berkeley, California precisely. Nice. as my example of being in the Berkeley, California independent movie theater. I mean, I've 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 had that experience and used that experience to describe <laughs> that sensation to people on many occasions. Yeah. So I know what you mean. And yeah, I, I, I don't know why it isn't I don't find that off putting, I think, because stakes are low I, I don't really know how to how to put it exactly well, also you're but doing it by yourself you don't have you don't have yeah, to... you, exactly you're, it's not a performative thing i mean i right. say that now that i'm literally performing solving the crossword every day in a video on the internet i really want to ask more questions about crosswords though but i guess i'll have to wait we could do it after all right okay um i think we should give uh crosswords an eight out of ten uh a solid but not spectacular yeah yeah it's it's not as good as a seven out of ten but it's also not as good as a nine out of (laughs) ten that's true (laughs) that's exactly true what are your favorite video game hoaxes video game what now hoaxes oh yes okay sorry this this is chris you know this is very specifically because you're on this show it is related to the fact i'm just going to tell this story of when you were working at gama sutra and (laughs) yes. (laughs) yes you know where this is going and um, the iPad was announced and people were like, the iPad is so big. And so I forget if you put if you had the correct image of Steve Jobs holding an iPad first, but you then photoshopped the iPad to be slightly larger. 
Yeah, it's big enough to like cover his whole head. <laughs> Most of his head and just the top of his head was there. Just the top of his head peeking up above the iPad that he was holding out in front of him. Yeah, and, and I forget if you gradually made it larger over the day. <laughs> no, or... I didn't. Although there was a different thing I did on Gama Sutra images that did involve gradually altering an image over time, but it wasn't this. What was that? I'll tell, we can tell that after we finish this story. So, oh, I mean, I mean, well, you can finish this story because that's as far as I got with it. The thing was, I had I had photoshopped this image of Steve Jobs holding the iPad to make the iPad huge and cover his face, just because I thought it was funny, and I dropped it into our oh right, um, not a Slack, but whatever predated Slack Bandcamp. It might have been Campfire. Campfire. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Bandcamp is where I sell my soundtracks. Please buy my soundtracks from chrisrimmer.bandcamp.com. You just dropped it into Bandcamp. <laughs> yeah, I, I dropped it into our, our work chat, and I wasn't intending it to, as a as a prank. I just thought it was funny for us. And then our boss, I don't remember if it was Simon Carlos or Chris Kraft, but one of them- I think it was Simon. I think it was Simon as well. Uh, said, oh, great, thanks. I needed this image and and grabbed it and slapped it on oh, no. uh, the public news story on on the website. Uh, that accompanied our story <laughs> and the, but the thing, funny thing is nobody nobody noticed no well, all the people noticed commenters but what, were like but, that's big exactly yes they noticed but they didn't notice in the sense of of noticing that the image had been uh fabricated they noticed in the sense of of it becoming one more sort of point in the war of people who were in favor of apple versus people who were not right and using the size of the ipad and you had Apple sort of apologists in there saying things like, no, 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 it's just the perspective. It's actually the perfect size. You can see because blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and and it was up there for several hours, despite my not having intended this to happen. Um, once it had happened, I was extremely pleased. And so I, I, I let I let it sit there. A few hours later, Simon came over to my desk to and, and sort of stopped in front of my desk. And he kind of looked at me and he said, did you... He's and he's sort of just stopped and let it hung, hang there, and I I just burst out laughing. Yeah, and he said, "Oh," <laughs> and he went he went back to his desk and updated the story. Incredible. Uh, yeah, that was my probably my favorite thing I ever did. Like gamesindustry.biz uh, or whatever also used our image because they were always stealing our stuff. <laughs> probably so. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I did that was the gradual the the gradual thing. Was there was this image of of Bobby Kotick, the the CEO of Activision. Oh, yeah. It, it's an official image. It's the strangest thing. And it's on this this bright red textured background. He's sort of grinning like a like an elf or something. And and uh, it's, he's tilted about 15 degrees. So he's got this he's this grinning face against this bright red, almost hellish backdrop. And he's he's a little bit tilted. It's been rotated for some reason. And um, I used that image every time there was a story about Activision or Bobby Kotick that was published on the website. But every time I used it, I rotated it about an additional 10 degrees. So over the course of several months, eventually, we were running stories about Bobby Kotick where he was like poking in at a perpendicular angle from off the side of the page. Um, and I, for some reason, found that to be, I, I amused myself immensely with that, that stupid gag. This is how we knew collectively that you were not sticking around for the long haul at, <laughs> at Gama Sutra because this this was clearly what was occupying the majority of your time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, amusing yourself with that uh, rather than doing hard reporting. <laughs> but you know what? In the long run, I'm happy about it. Oh, same. Okay, what other video game hoaxes were there? For some reason as a child, this one really creeped me out. And there was no reason for it to creep me out as bad because it was the idea that I think in Mortal Kombat, or probably Mortal Kombat 2, there was a ninja called Ermac, which maybe had like Red, Jack, or some of that. 
But the idea was that no one had programmed him and he just like appeared sometimes. You'd have to fight him. And I don't know why the no one programmed him thing as a child really just creeped me out. The idea that like that just happened. There was now another guy in, in Mortal Kombat that could fight you. Like I, I could still feel it in my in, in my bones. It's a weird childish fear of Ermac for some reason. But it's just obviously even if it existed, it's like, you know, it's like in Pokemon missing. No, like it's just like a, a bit of a counter went over something. So this character appears. Right. But like. As a child, it just, it just freaked me out for some reason. Don't know why. Is the whole situation with Blue whatever studios where it's like, you know, maybe they're making a Kojima game, maybe they're not. Is that a hoax or is that an accident that's unfortunate for them? I, I legitimately can't tell. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. No. And it's, at this point, it seems like they're taking the piss because the last picture they posted, it looked like there's a guy in an eye patch behind the text. It looked like um, Snake yeah. or whatever like that, right? Or Punish Snake or which one of the snakes, right? And it was just like, either this is some sort of weird Kojima thing or you're really leaning into this because they keep acting like they're really like wounded. Listen, guys, we're just a tiny little uh, indie studio. But each time they do stuff, it just it doesn't it seems intentional. So yeah. um, I would lean towards like somebody playing either a very somebody playing a dangerous game, whether or not it's Kojima, I don't think it's probably him but it's somebody fucking about yeah i'm losing patience on that particular yeah oh yeah for sure that's not one of my favorites this is the blank video game section of the podcast where in the tradition of the question what is the citizen cane of video games uh we hold the medium of video games up to other examples of art and culture yeah, uh, Chris Rima, just so you know, this this is the part where we use our encyclopedic knowledge of video games to yeah. uh, answer some questions. <laughs> so, yeah, if you were if you were waiting for that point, it, it has arrived. Here we are. Uh, so now is when I ask you, uh, what is the waiting for Godot of video games? Is that how you pronounce it? I always, I always said Godot. Every single production I've seen or heard of the play has the actors pronouncing it Godot. Yeah, and usually an Irish accent for some reason. I guess because of the author and all that, but like he never wrote them as Irish. But yeah, they usually say Godo. All right. In an Irish well, accent, which I'm not going to do. Haven't you been doing that this whole time, Matthew? I fucking dude, I'm going to slap oh, your tits God. off. You're, you're, <laughs> you're lucky he's half a world away from you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the idea here is like you're you're waiting for a, a payoff that never arrives. Sort of. I mean, I guess that's oversimplified simplification of it or that the point in metal gear solid 3 where you climb a ladder yeah yeah that's right it's in metal gear solid 3 where you climb a ladder that's good uh, your your one point of reference has come in handy but <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the one scene of a video game i've played yeah look i mean usually whenever we're pressed for uh examples we end up defaulting to uh hideo kojima scene from metal gear 3 where you climb the ladder sonic the yeah. hedgehog or peter molyneux those are the three things we do and it's tough for me because I have hardly played any Kojima games and I have definitely not played any Peter Molyneux game for more than like five minutes. So uh, I'm I'm flying blind when we're talking about these things, uh, but I, I got to bring him up anyway. You've probably spent more time playing Peter Molyneux inside of a game that you made than you have playing games by Peter Molyneux. 100%. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you might be unique among humans in that regard. I might be, although there are a few people that have played Gunhouse for literally days of okay, worth of time, enough. like 400 hours, which is of metrics wild. that, so you, you know that from sort of telemetry data and stuff? We don't capture telemetry data. We only know it when people email us and they're like, look, I, I made it to day <laughs> 1000. And I'm like, wow, holy yeah. Lord, you should calm down. 
I don't say that to them. I, I think they should calm right the heck up. Uh, <laughs> just keep going with it. Okay, so waiting for Godot. This is not the right answer, but there was SNK versus Capcom Card Fighters Clash 2, uh, which came out on the DS. Okay. Uh, l- launched with a game-breaking bug past which you could not progress, and the game just soft-locked. Oh, that's good. But it, it's not unique in doing that. Other games have done that, but it is, you know, it wasn't patchable because it was a it was a DS game. So they had to they had to basically recall and reissue, which um, an incompletable game is a good answer. for. Yeah, yeah and I so, don't ha- I have the original copy of it and they only let you return it for a short window. And I obviously bought it secondhand, I guess, because the person was like, I have a broken game. So it's quite annoying, to be honest, to have one of the busted versions of it. And not be able to do anything about it. Not that it's very good. It's not Car Fighters Clash 2, by the way. It's just Car Fighters Clash DS, because 2 is on right, the right. NGPC. 2 already exists. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't even remember whether I have the the one that you can get through, because I didn't like it very much. It just didn't didn't keep going with it. It's totally busted, design-wise, uh, anyway. Yeah. And I believe... This is really boring, actually. Why are people going to listen to me talking about this? Um, I believe that the actual part where you can't get past is actually in the um, post-game anyway. So you can, I think you can get to the end of that game uh, oh, normally. Wow. It's just you can't get everything. But yeah. I might be wrong on that one. That would be rough. Yeah, every time um, we one of these questions comes up, and if I'm listening or whatever like that, I usually think about how the thing that's been discussed is just something that people know the name of, but don't know anything about any more deeply. You know, like, Waiting for Godot is, like, a perfect example of something where, like, it's largely, like, just used as sort of a punchline, sort of a yeah. reference point, rather than experience as the, as the work that it is. Like, I think one of the most interesting things about Waiting for Godot is that, you know, people often think, like, oh, it must be some sort of algorithm about Waiting for God, right? But Samuel Beckett wrote in French originally, and obviously the word for God is not God in, in French, right? right? So there's no... The, the original version of the play, there is no implication of that in the way that it's written. And so often, like, it's just basically like try often to me, it's like imagine a game that lots of people have talked about and referenced, but have never played. That's usually my answer for these questions. So it would almost be my answer for for something like this, you know? Okay, well, I think one that that might fit both things is uh, PT, because that's not. And most people haven't played it, but they have talked about it. And it, it circles back with that hoax thing we were talking about earlier. All right. So. Originally, my lightning round was going to be a uh, kind of encyclopedia-y type topic, so I'm changing <laughs> that at the last minute because that's clearly not going over well in this episode. We're going to go to one of our old standbys, a game called Name Design. This is where I give you the name of something, and you have to design a video game about it based on the title alone. This week, we're doing all titles of Jody Picoult novel. Who? Jody Picot. Jody Picot. Thank you. Yeah, how can you get Godot right? Like, screw that one out, Jaffe. Ugh. Uh, I did kind of have to switch this out in the last minute, so please give me some credit here. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm going to go through these book titles, and you have to tell me what video game that would be, just based on the name. Kind of similar to what uh, Matthew was just saying about the of video game questions, how we just kind of take the name and extrapolate from there. going to start with songs of the humpback whale uh it's a rhythm game and uh it's on the wii and you have to hold the wiimote like a um what's that god darn thing that you get closer to and further away from and it makes sounds you know what i'm talking about Doppler uh, effect no no it's the it's the it's the theremin there we go yeah um, oh. it's it's a it's a wii theremin game where you're trying to it's go good oh, i like it's really good doing the, the whale song oh yeah you, you have to get the noise just right to draw the humpback whale towards you 
Now that you've said that, I almost can't believe there wasn't some usage of the Wii Remote as a, a, as theremin. a theremin. That's yeah, what Did Wii Music not do that? I mean, the theremin is not the most popular of instruments, but still. Since I mean, when? Genuinely, okay. no one played Wii Music, so I mean, That's it could true. have been a theremin, but no one would know. Your next game is Harvesting the Heart. Oh god, it's a trauma center uh, mixed with <laughs> harm. It's okay, so it's like Harvest Moon, where you've inherited a surgery yes. uh, room from your from your grandpa, who who, who likes <laughs> he, he misses the old-fashioned country doctor style of surgery, where there's no anesthetic, etc. Et, et and so you have to learn on the fly how to how to um, harvest hearts from. You learn that oh, you're not yeah. very good at uh, saving people, so you harvest their hearts and, and use them for other purposes. Oh no, but it's so cute, right? Because when you put the people to sleep, they have get a big snot bubble, you know, yeah. like just like the cows. So it's like super adorable, and you can brush their hair and shit. Like, uh, yeah, this would own. Yeah. Plain truth. Uh, this uh, is a, a 9/11 truther. Oh no. <laughs> no, I was gonna say it's it's more uh, like. Um, what was that game, you know, where you go to the apartment and there's a couple there and they're having a fight? Yeah, you know the yeah. One? no, a facade. Facade, right. It's like facade, you get onto, the, you're the you're the husband or the wife in that relationship, you get on the plane and as the plane just takes off, she's like, I'm leaving you. And then you have to deal with that situation of all the truth coming about the reality relationship. But you as the player don't really understand what's actually happening. So you're trying to stumble your way through this like very difficult emotional situation while trapped in the plane for eight hours. Yeah. That's, and you're trying to stop from falling asleep. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, my sister's keeper. I mean, I'm trying not to make this a kidnapping game. <laughs> oh, um... Like Ape Escape, but with sisters. <laughs> yeah. No, no, your sister is um, the striker in a hot um, football team, right? And oh. it's all about your relationship okay. with the, the goalkeeper, you know? Um, because you've fallen in love with the goalkeeper. I'm writing a lot of romance-style uh, video games right now. I'm not sure yeah, what's going on. I suppose the previous one wasn't so romance. But more emotional video games. It's more into now, I guess. So it's all about your relationship with the uh, goalkeeper. And there's, like, fun football sequences um, when you're not doing the visual novel part. You know, I was thinking it could be, like, uh, remember we played Dear Boys on the Super Nintendo? Yeah, like that. You you do manage the relationships between these people, but also you, you have, like, a turn-based RPG-ish kind of soccer situation going on. I think yeah, because be, I think it's it. kind of like yeah. this, right, where it's like, to make your sister happy, the goalkeeper has to be very engaged with the sport, but you also want to be very engaged with you, so it's all about managing those bars to make them succeed yeah. at the sport and your sister's sport while also growing your love at natural pace. You know, I love managing bars. It's it's, love it's it. true. I love it. Yeah. Your next game is Salem Fall. All right. Deadly Premonition. Okay. The end. No, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. About... <laughs> okay. And... It's, it's a Bennett Body style um, escape oh, game where you play a witch running away from a pyre um, and you just have to like stop from falling over. Do you know what I mean? While people <laughs> will be chasing and try and burn you, you know? That's very good. I was thinking the direction you were going to go is that you're you're a witch escaping from persecution, but you're you're going down the falls in a barrel like in uh, Niagara Falls or whatever they used to do back in the day. Oh. Either way. Yeah. Either way. The Tenth Circle. You're about drowned circles. You got to do ten of them. <laughs> I was going to say earlier how clever you were with these, yeah. and, and okay. now I feel even more convinced of that. It's, it's, a, it's a crossword game where yeah. the 10th uh, the, the letter is, is, is unknown, and you have less than 26 chances to get it right. That's kind of... Oh, okay, yeah. I was going to say that 
the bit where the tenth letter is unknown is kind of like crosswords, but that's also true of the rest of the letters. Right. Yeah, I think there's some way to turn this into a crossword game where like the tenth letter of, of each of these prompts yeah, is like... absolutely. Sometimes the crossword will have sort of circles on some letters and, and yeah. it means something once you figure out what they are and then yeah. that... Yeah, that's totally, totally. And that and, leads you to the murderer. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say tenth circle, right? So there's seven circles of hell, so I assume this is about the circle that is three circles on from those seven circles. Okay. So um, I guess it's like some sort of extremely super helly hell. Yeah, it's Dante's Inferno 3. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Dante's Inferno. That doesn't yeah, really work. Dante's Inferno. Inferno. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm giving you the point just for that. In fact, <laughs> I'm calling the whole game. Matthew, you're our winner of the episode. Congratulations. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, you get to write a question for next week's episode. I'll be in touch. Love writing questions, babies. Uh, this is the point. If you'd like to plug anything you're working on or just <laughs> recommend a piece of culture to our <laughs> listeners, uh, you can go ahead and do that unless you took an opportunity earlier in the show to somehow shill the thing. You can still do it. Yeah, you can do it. (laughs) Okay, I have two things to recommend. One is a Jackie Chan movie called To Kill With Intrigue. The movie, it's it's not actually that good, but I I found it compelling because, okay, so this is uh, from director Lo Wei when he was really in the, like, cash-in period of his life. Like, he had Jackie Chan in this predatory contract, and he couldn't get out of it. But, you know, he, he, they were they were still making movies together. Anyway, this this one is like a little bit black magic along with the kung fu thing. And it's got the first like Yandere character that I've seen in one of these shows. Probably. What does that mean? It's a it's a Japanese term for the the kind of like usually female love interest that loves you and wants to kill you simultaneously. Uh, they want to do you wow. physical harm, but they but they really love you. And that's common enough that it's a whole archetype. Yes, <laughs> but it's you know, it's it's related to like anime and manga and stuff. So it's not related to real life human beings. So there's also like tsundere, which is uh, a much more understandable one where it's like someone who is it, they, they they keep you at a distance because they like you so much. Um, and, But then once you break through, they're very lovey dovey or whatever. Sure. Um, it, it, that's a lot more common um, than this one. But anyway, the 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 female antagonist cat doesn't like that. Uh, I know no. they did not like that. <laughs> no, of this is well, the cat uh, might be an example of what you just described. Yeah, I mean that is cat's out yon daddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's this lady who who uh, hates Jackie Chan's family because his his father eradicated her theoretically evil clan except for her, and now she's back. Uh, but she winds up liking Jackie Chan. Turns out there's a greater evil than 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 her, and she she trains him up to defeat that evil. But in the process, is like burning his face off and making him swallow hot coals and stuff. Uh, uh, and it's it's just this wild kind of bizarre movie that Jackie Chan would never make ever again after that. And so there's that one. It's actually not that good though, so I shouldn't have spent so long talking about it. You spent forever talking about it as well. <laughs> I really, I really, really did. Uh, but the other one, which I'll spend less talking, time talking about, even though it's better, is Walker, which is the first biopic I've ever seen. That I love has Walker. Complete contempt for its subject. Uh, it is a great, you know, I didn't I didn't realize that this was from the director of Repo Man. If I had, I probably would have watched it a lot sooner. But it's it's basically about this guy, William Walker, who is a Western imperialist dog, realistically, who, who he goes down to Nicaragua and is, installs himself as president and becomes increasingly unhinged. And it is simultaneously an allegory for what we in the U.S. were doing to Nicaragua at that 
time when the movie was shot in Nicaragua. So that and this movie is was universally hated at the time. And the director, whose name I'm blanking on, Alex um, Cox, Alex Cox, uh, was essentially blackballed from making movies after that of any kind of budget because people were like, "This is such blatant propaganda, uh, anti-U.S. whatever." But it's that's what's great about it. Like it's it does it so well and. It's it's simultaneously subversive and hitting you over the head with it at the same time. Like the the first time this this is a period film shot in the 1800s, and the first time you see something like a a Mercedes Benz passing horse drawn cart, you're like, yeah, they're really doing it over here. They're making yeah making it. It's so good. Yeah, the anachronisms in that movie are so funny. I, the scene I was remember was the part where he like he's like, look at this, and po- holds up a copy of Time magazine he's on the cover of. Really, really funny stuff. It's so stupid, and and I love it. And there, if you get the DVD, there is a special sequence of Alex Cox. He he saved all the contemporary reviews, and he he reads them to you. Uh, what what people said about it at the time. It's it's wild stuff. Okay, that's what I got. Just to mention though, just. If anyone's wondering, I do think Alex Cox was a bit cancelled recently. I can't remember why, but yeah, I think he was a bit cancelled recently. So ah, dang I'll bring that up. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I'm not. I'm not massively surprised. It in like the documentary about it. It it talks about how the the Nicaraguan staff people were getting paid like one tenth what the Americans were, and the Americans were like, we need to get paid more. But then they found out what the Nicaraguans were getting paid. And, yeah, you know that's yeah. Not apologies great. for not remembering the context, but just to let our listeners know if they want to. Do the research before the... Although Walker is amazing, but, you know, context yeah. and everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, I want to continue the film discussion here. Kind of mention that I think at the point this uh, podcast will be released, even not just to the one-day early listeners, but to everybody, there will still be time to fund my friend Justin DeClue's uh, Gold Ninja Video uh, fundraiser for... Just go to goldninjavideo.com. Um, he runs a boutique film label that releases old films that have never really been scanned or released and also like films from kind of outsider type up-and-coming um directors um to blu-ray and he's doing a fundraiser right now because he's trying to raise enough money to get his own film scanner because most of the films he's putting out just come from the type of reps he can find so if he has to like source like a vhs from like thailand or something to get a movie he'll do it but this way he'll be able to like source actual prints and then scan them um he's starting for like twenty dollars even just give him that, you'll get uh, a digital copy of the Matt Farley movie, Freaky Farley, which I have seen. It is incredible. It will look amazing in 4K, transferred 16mm. Um, but there's plenty of other things to good. And this is just, if you want to support, um, you know, particular film label, if you want to get up someone get a film scanner and actually, you know, support filmmakers and everything else, I really think that um, supporting the Gold Ninja video, Indiegogo, is one of the best things you can do. And not just because Justin's personal friend, because I think he's really doing great work. That's cool. Chris Remo, uh, you do you anything? have anything you'd like to recommend, whether you've worked on it or not? Um, well, yeah, probably. Um, but the thing that's coming to mind, I, this is probably the most obvious and unnecessary recommendation for this crowd. So I, I apologize for being this, I don't know, uninteresting. But how dare you? Brendan talking about Jackie Chan reminded me that I recently watched Police Story and Police Story 2 for the first time. I had never seen those films. And I was completely flabbergasted by all of the things that Jackie Chan does in those movies. He does a lot of things in them. Yeah, he does a lot of things. And it's incredibly, I found it, plot is, is it's almost annoyingly dumb. Uh, they're, they're weirdly long, yes. you know, for, for what those movies need to be. But some of the action set pieces are 
just absolutely extraordinary. And I had an extremely good time watching those movies. And I would he recommend. Certainly breaks his bones a lot. He breaks those. a lot of bones um, entertainingly yeah. for our benefit. I mean, he doesn't just break his bones. I always remember in the first police story when he goes down that a uh, string of lights in the mall. Yes, like he just did that. Yes, he just did that, and because he just did that, they show that shot in the film three times in a row from different yeah. angles. They just show it several times to make sure that you see that in fact he did this completely preposterous yeah. thing, and then they show it several more times again during the credits at the end. Yeah. Yeah, basically he was like, I'm just going to smash a lot of light bulbs into my hand while going down a burning rope. Yeah. It was like, there's some really gnarly, uh, badly hurt people in those 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 police stories. In fact, most of the Jackie yeah. Chan movies. You know, you got to give a lot of respect to those stuntmen because uh, I have no idea how they stand up again. Because in some cases, they don't. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you knew. I think I think it was police story where this happened. Um, but I just watched Tiger on Beat right after that. And I can't remember if it was that one. No, I think I think it was Police Story 2. The lead actress, there's this bit where she's supposed to be running away from all these metal things that are f falling like dominoes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, okay, Police Story so, 2. So you never see her face again because she actually got hit in the head during that sequence and had to go to the hospital for the... Oh, wow. yeah, I think they sh yeah, they show that in the credits. Yeah, so she she's only shown from afar or with her face off the thing. And, and, and it's, it's tough because like, the point of it of the whole thing was, you know, they their relationship was in trouble and again and he was you know, you they were gonna maybe reconcile. His character is a complete ass to her throughout those films. It's yeah. actually astonishing. Oh wow. You I tell you what, watch some more Hong Kong films. Yeah, exactly. Watch some more Hong Kong movies. That's the whole deal. I have some recommendations. Uh they may be familiar if you've uh listened to this show before. But it bears repeating. I would like to recommend that if you're listening to this show on any platform where you can subscribe to or review podcasts, that you engage with us in that way to keep the algorithms pushing us upwards and forwards. You can also go to patreon.com slash insert credit, where you could become a patron to submit your own topics, get our regular episodes one day early. One day early. I mean, what? Wow. <laughs> yeah. One right. day early. That pause was probably funnier than somebody saying it. Oh, that yeah. pause was so long. It was very long. <laughs> I thought there was lag. I, I was picking myself up off the floor because I fainted. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right, Chris Remo. One day early. And even access monthly bonus episodes. Stop saying that. I and other falling off my chair. Content. You can also join us on forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at Insert Credit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Uh, Brandon is at Necrosofty. You know it. Matthew Kumar is at something. Joined the last minute. At so I Matthew Kumar. At Matthew Kumar. Thank you. With one, one T, T, by the way. One T. One T One T early. One T yeah. early. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris is at Chris Remo. Uh, this show is edited by Esper Quinn and with music by Kurt Feldman. Uh, this is the point where you all say your names right after me, in order. Once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. Brandon Sheffield. I'm Matthew Kumar. I'm Chris Rumo. And your game has now been saved. Nice.
Nice. It's funny, Jaffe. I wanted to say something, which is, see the end of an episode when you go, and I've got a recommendation. They always go, ooh. And then I'm like, ah, oh, it's the same fucking recommendations every week. <laughs> yeah. I literally do. I keep thinking, what's Jaffe going to again? Probably a Batman comic or something like that. That's probably what he's into. And then it's just the same old rubbish. Like, uh... Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Lucy in that football. <laughs>